Hi everyone, my name's Sam and you're listening to Explaining Christianity, a one-season, six-episode podcast designed to explain Christianity clearly. In each episode, we'll be listening to a short talk by Dave Jensen and then spending some time chatting about what we've heard afterwards. You're listening to episode one. Before we hear the talk, I'm going to read from the book of the Bible which Dave is speaking from. It's called the Gospel of Mark. Mark is one of the eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus recorded in the Bible. I'm reading from Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 18. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. right now that the subject we're going to be speaking about is relevant to every single one of you, whether you've been forced to come here or whether you're willingly coming here, you're keen, you're curious, you're cynical, you're cautious, doesn't matter. Because what we're speaking about tonight is you. I want to speak about your life. I wonder, if someone came to you in the street and asked you, what is your life actually all about? What is the meaning and the purpose of your existence? In other words, think of it this way, why are you here? What would you say? Imagine um, that you have a time machine, okay? And uh, this time machine, right at the edge of the dial, just has a button, a red button that says, the end. And you decide, okay, I'll go for it. You press it, and you're immediately transported to an old church, like a sandstone old church. And, and you look around you, and you, uh, you see a whole bunch of people who look kind of familiar, but you're not quite too sure. And then you look even further afield, and you see a coffin, Now, no one can see you, and you look down, and you see there's an order of service, and you pick it up, and you realize that this is your funeral. You sit back, and you watch as as three people get up, people who know you and love you, who get up to speak about you and the life that you've lived. Now, here's the question. Now, don't miss this. I want you to answer this, and if you've got your notebook there, I want you to use one word to answer this question if you can. How do you want to be remembered? What is it? What words do you want to be used about the life that you've lived? You know, at some point or another, you wake up and you realize um, that you don't get to redo life. This is it. The thing we're doing right now, it's not a practice. It's not a dress rehearsal. It's not a captain's run. This is it. This is life. And all of us here, regardless of how you think about life, regardless if, if you're anxious and depressed or feeling awesome and delighted, it doesn't matter. All of us can agree that we want to ensure we do not pour our effort, our energy, our heart, our blood, our sweat, our tears into things that do not matter. The reason we care about what people say when we're not here is we want to make sure we don't waste our lives. Even if you're not loving your life, you want to make sure you don't waste it. We want to make sure we don't pour our effort into things that don't matter, but rather that we spend our time focusing on things that do matter. The question is, how do we do that? It's hard, isn't it? It's hard because there's so many different opinions about life out there telling us, do this, do that. Do this, do that. So how do we work it out? Well, here's what I want to say. And and this is a statement that I want to make. It's a big one. You may not be in agreement with it. But I want to make this statement 
and then hang my hat on it. By that I mean to say, I want to make this statement and then try and prove it. Here it is. It stands to reason that there's only one voice in life that we need to listen to in order to find out what life is all about. And it's not our mates. It's not celebrities. It's not each other. It's God. God made you. He created you. He created every hair in your head, every, every bone in your body, the blood that runs throughout your whole body. He created you. But that means he didn't just create your physical being. He created your why. You know what I mean? Your why. The reason you're here. He's the one who did that. So what that means is that we don't need to try and invent our meaning. We don't need to try and ask each other endlessly and, and go on Instagram or Snapchat or, or try and find out what really, really clever and smart people say about it. All we need to do and I want to say this stands to absolute logic and rationale. If there is a creator God who made you, all we need to do is listen to what God says. So let me ask you, what do you think God says is the meaning of your life? Now, check this out. Don't miss this bit. This is where things get fascinating. Okay, when you take a step backwards and, and you look at life, and you look at the different opinions available and the different perspectives available and the different thoughts available about life, what you notice is that 99.9% .9 of perspectives and opinions available to us in life, 99.9%, all but one, say a different version of the same thing. Every religion, every philosophy, every psychological study, every anthropological study says the same thing, that life is all about you. Your life's meaning is what you do. Now, that could look different for different things, different people. A lot of people would say, you find your meaning by looking within. Be true to yourself. To thine own self be true. Follow your heart. But of course, a lot, a lot of people would say, no, no, no. The meaning of life is found in your bank balance, in your property portfolio, whatever it is that you succeed in life, that you achieve, that you accomplish. If you do those things, then your life is worthwhile. Of course, it could be religion. It could be, ah, oh, your worth will be found in how obedient you are. If you pray like this, not like that. God will like you. If you eat this, don't eat that. God will like, that is, that's how you live. 99.9% .9 of the world's perspective say something like that. But here's the thing. What does God say? Now, you may never have heard this before. But let me let you in for a, a shocking but an amazing truth. God in the Bible says that that is absolutely untrue. That's not it. You're missing it. That's not it. So what does God say your life is about? It's not about you. Your life is not about you. You are not in the center of the universe with everything else revolving around you. Don't make a mistake that I'm not saying any different about me. My life isn't like that either, as much as I want it to be. But check this out. Not only are you and I not at the center of the universe, we're not even at the center of our own universe. No, no, no. You might think, hold on, that's bad news. Is that shocking to you? Sounds like the sort of thing a parent would say to discipline the kid. Life's not about you. That's not what we're saying here. What we're saying is incredibly beautiful news. Because what it means that life is not about you is that you have a value and a worth, a meaning 
a purpose that is far, far greater than what you do. Oi, please hear me. Your value and worth is not tied up with how successful you are in popularity, with how good you are at the things that you want to be good at. It's not found in being true to yourself or not true to yourself. You are worth far, far more than the external efforts of your your actions or the internal thoughts of your heart and your mind. God says the meaning of your life won't be found in you at all. It's actually found somewhere, in fact, in someone else. The meaning of your life is found in Jesus Christ. Did you hear me just say that? The meaning, the purpose, the intention of your entire existence is found in Jesus Christ. What that means is that what we need to do in order to find out why we're here is not introspectively think about ourselves endlessly, endlessly, endlessly. What we need to do in order to understand our lives is simple. We need to meet Jesus. We need to meet him as he's revealed to us in God's word. So what's the question? Who is Jesus. Not what does your mum say? What does your dad say? What do your friends say? What does the person to your left or right say? What do you say? Who is Jesus? Now, the truth is, there's a lot of different opinions about Jesus, not just outside, but inside. All of us have got our own perspectives and, and opinions about Jesus. It happens all the time. So I want to start with some historical facts about Jesus, facts that every historian agrees with, Christian, non-Christian, doesn't matter, so that we can all kind of get on the same page as we open up God's Word. Let me give you some of these. Number one, Jesus was a real person. He truly lived. He truly lived around 2,000 years ago in a place, you see it in verse 9 actually, a place called Nazareth is where he came from. Nazareth is in the country. It's like um, in, in the countryside of, of Israel. And it's a town so insignificant, you never would have heard, for, heard of it unless he came from there. A bit like Newcastle or, or Wollongong. You know, a, a really, really, <laughs> a town. Oh yeah, I'm from the Central Coast. I know about insignificant places, okay? Now, Jesus, for most of his life, was entirely anonymous. He worked as a carpenter. He was born in a poor family, in a poor town, in a poor country. You see, when Jesus was born, he was Jewish. And the Jewish people had a long, long thousand, thousand year history of persecution. People constantly invading their country. When Jesus was born, the Romans, the biggest death machine the world had ever seen, the Roman Empire, were the occupying force of Israel. The people were prosecuted, they were persecuted, they were oppressed, they were repressed. Everything had happened to them. They were desperate, they were dire. It was dark for them. That is the context into which Jesus was born. He was largely anonymous until early 30s, 31, 32. He stepped into the world around him as a religious teacher and preacher. Now check this out. You might not be aware of this. He grew moderately popular, very unpopular, moderately popular, immensely popular, and then Almost overnight, immensely unpopular. Only three years after he started his ministry, he was betrayed, abandoned, sold out, tortured, and killed. It's very possible to look at Jesus' life without bias and think that's a failed life, isn't it? Oi, murdered, abandoned, betrayed by your mother, that is a failed life. But here's the thing about Jesus. He never wrote a book. He never wrote a song. He never took a selfie. No one has any idea what he looked like. No one drew a picture of him while he was alive. He never fought in a battle. He never picked up a sword as far as we know. Let me put it this way. He did none of the things that people normally associate with power, with influence, with success. None of them. And yet, 
But check this. Scientists estimate that 500 billion people have lived on this planet in the history of the world. 500 billion people. And that man from that hick town 2,000 years ago is the most influential one of us all. Here's a quote from Albert Einstein, you know, the famous uh, Jewish scientist um, of the 20th century. I am a Jew, but I'm entirely enthralled by Jesus. No one can read the Bible without feeling his actual presence. His personality pulsates in every word. No myth is filled with such life. Now, let me, let me just ask you, why? How would you answer that? Why? What is it about Jesus that's so mesmerizing, so magnetic, so incredible? Most of what we know about Jesus, 99% of it or so, comes from four biographies of Jesus' life that we have in the Bible. Um, they're called Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We are privileged to be looking at uh, the biography written by Mark, an incredible book. Mark was a, a, a follower of Jesus. He knew Jesus. It's an eyewitness account of Jesus' life, probably written in correlation with Jesus' other best mate, Peter. Now, Mark's gospel, the biography, begins in a way that makes it very, very clear that Mark has one intention in mind to reveal to us why Jesus is someone we should meet. Why Jesus is someone we should pay attention to. Why Jesus has been never-endingly, contemporarily powerful, influential, and authoritative. What is it? Look at Mark chapter 1 verse 1. If you've got a Bible there, open that up. Have a look at Mark chapter 1 verse 1. Listen to what he says. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. Now just hold on there. The Jews had only one tiny glimmer of hope. That for thousands of years there had been promises in the Old Testament of the Bible of a figure, a, a, a man who would come to liberate, to save, to rescue them, a king, a good king, a Messiah. At around 31, 32, Jesus drops his tools, throws aside the hammer, puts, puts to the wayside the saw, and he steps into the culture and to the world, into the context around him. A desperate people, a dying people. A people crying out for help. He strides into the middle of that and he speaks. You know, God had grown silent with his people, the Jews, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's a period of 400 years where God said nothing. And so after this break of 400 years and after thousands and thousands of years of promises of this Messiah to come, Jesus strides into that space and he speaks. Have a look at verse 15. And I want you to listen what it is that Jesus says. What it is, the message from God that he brings. Listen to what he says, chapter one, chapter one verse 15. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, let me just play that out. Let me just work that out for us together. The time has come. In other words, the wait is over. The wait is over. Waiting, 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 waiting. Now, the pre-appointed time of the Messiah's arrival is here. The kingdom of God has come near. Now, near doesn't mean like, oh, you nearly missed it. Whoop, you missed it. Near means like in the proximity of. Jesus says, the time is now. The appointed promised prophesied time is now. The kingdom of God has come near. How has the kingdom of God come near? Very simple. Because Jesus is God's king. And he has come to bring people into, rescue people into 
God's kingdom. And you see, that's what the word Messiah means. You may not know this. It's a Hebrew word. The word Christ is the exact same word. Christ is Greek. Messiah is Hebrew. Those words mean anointed, which is pouring oil on someone. That's what you do to a king. So what those words mean is king, but not an ordinary king, God's king. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God's king. Thanks for that, Dave. You've said some big things there about Jesus and about us. Let's jump straight into some questions that I've got for you. Firstly, you say 99% of religions and philosophies say the same thing, that life's all about yourself. But all the religions seem to me to be quite different. So can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, it's important to understand what religion is. You know, what, what are the questions that religion, all religions are seeking to answer? And I'd, I'd put towards you that there's two predominant ones that are sort of commonly seen everywhere. And that is, in essence, that seeking to answer the question, uh, what does God want from me? And what do I need to do to get right with you know, him or her or whatever uh, in order to get to the next life, depending on what religion you are, you know, uh, reincarnation or heaven or, or whatever. They're the two major things. So how do I follow God to the way that he will approve of me or they will approve of me, that therefore I will get what I want to have in the life to come? Uh, now, what you will find when you look at every religion bar one is that the answer to that question is always, always, always found in my behavior. You know what I mean? So you need to act a particular way, uh, perform a set of rituals or, or uh, uh, religious regulations, and then uh, the divinity, the, the, the God, gods, whoever, will look at you and give you the big tick of approval. Uh, now, I want to say that's actually not only true of religion, that's true of philosophy. Uh, right-wing, left-wing politics, uh, it doesn't matter what perspective you bring to bear on uh, thinking about culture and community, all are actually saying a similar thing. If it is to be, it's up to me. Sort it out yourself. We are the people who can overthrow bad things. We are the people who can make sure things happen. I'm the one responsible for life. Now, I want to say I understand the, the intuitive nature of that argument, because after all, Mostly in life, if you want anything good, well, for most of us, you have to work at getting it. Uh, and so surely when it comes to God, the very meaning of life, it would be the same. Yet Christianity offers an entirely unique perspective. Jesus brings to bear something that is so not only countercultural, but counterintuitive. Jesus says, it's not about what you do. Life is about God making you for him. And it's about what Jesus has done for you. Uh, it, it is very difficult for us to get that because it is so counterintuitive. You know, our, our natural internal compass takes us somewhere else, takes us to wanting to rely on self. And yet Christianity stands alone. And by the way, it's not only Christians who think this, it's widely recognized that Christianity, uh, that, that Jesus offers a perspective on life, this life, yes, here and now, but also the life to come. It answers those questions. What does God want from me? What do I need to do to get to this life? Completely different from any other religion or philosophy. And so it is truly unique. Now, in one way, every philosophy is unique because it, they all say something different. Every religion says something slightly different. But we're talking those big major categories. Think of it like sport. Um, you know, in, in the ball sports, well, use football. Okay, so in football, you've got rugby league, rugby union, soccer, uh, Aussie rules football, American football, Gaelic football, you know, all these different sports, all using different shaped 
balls and different shaped fields. And yet at their essence, they're all using a ball, you know, and it involves running around, chasing it, and doing what? What is success in one of the footballs? Well, in essence, it's the same thing. It's to get the, the ball across a line or into a goal, and then you get the points. But Christianity is like boxing, okay? It's a completely different sport. It doesn't have a big you know, ball in the middle of it. You're trying to do it. You're doing it differently. If you go to a boxing match and you're holding a football, you're going to look like an idiot. At the same point, if you wear boxing gloves to a football game, you're going to find that very difficult as well. So for us, it's about working out, hold on, where's the truth lie? Is the perspective Jesus offers completely, uh, not only completely different, but is it actually also completely true? Uh, I'm persuaded it is, but that's that's what that's what we're doing here. You know, investigating those things. You mentioned Jesus is the most influential person who's ever lived. That's a huge claim, but can you prove it? <laughs> yeah, I think I can. But before I do, let me tell you, uh, I'm going to say something that there's a bit of a twist at the end of what I'm saying because I think I can prove it to you, but I also think it doesn't matter as much as we may think it does. So first of all. Uh, Jesus's influence, a couple of ways that we can gauge that kind of thing. You know, um, the, the obvious one is that Jesus is not only the figurehead, he's the central um, the, the central core of Christianity, which is the world's biggest religion, the biggest religion in the history of the world. So that, on virtue alone, would say this is a man with you know, significant influence uh, across billions of people in thousands of years. Uh, there is deeper than that, though. He's had a real influence on our culture in ways that we don't even recognize often. Um, and so I, I made mention in the talk of several of them, but the way that Jesus's teachings have shaped uh, the worldview that we sort of inherit, uh, we've inherited in liberal democracies uh, like ours, like in Australia, but also um, Europe and the States and other places. So the idea of um, rights, equality, uh, those are you know, the equality of uh, all human beings as image bearers of God. Uh, if you think those things are intrinsic to human nature, uh, the, the best way to disprove that is to visit other countries which don't have Christian heritage or Christianity as the predominant religion. And you will say, oh, wait, uh, equality of all people is not intrinsic to other cultures, uh, to other religions. Now, this is sprung from Jesus. Universities, hospitals, education, uh, it's easily shown that Jesus Christ's teachings, explicitly his teachings, and also um, Christians who were inspired by what he said, are the sort of foundation stone of many of those things. Uh, And that's a really worthwhile thing to understand, that Jesus has influenced the world in that way. Now, here's the twist. I point those things out because it's worthwhile and it's interesting, and I hope it means that you will give Jesus a listen you will go, okay, well, he is an important guy. I'm going to listen to him. And yet I also want to say it's actually not that important. Popularity does not mean someone is good or telling the truth or right. If you want an example of that, you know, look at look at music. You know, the most popular songs in the world are often just, you know, horrible songs that most of us would go I can't listen to that I, like Justin Bieber he's the most popular singer in the world uh, and like he's rubbish so what are you going to do you can't say well he's definitely the best musician in the world because he's the most popular you know that's not generally how our society works so just because Jesus has been influential and popular and has formed the you know the world's stage that doesn't mean he is the king of the world that doesn't mean he's telling the truth about life and its meaning now, to discover whether or not he's doing that, you, yourself, whoever you are listening, you've got to 
read the Bible yourself, investigate these things, listen for yourself, listen to these talks, keep thinking about it. Uh, this is about you and God um, reading the words of Jesus for yourself. And that's the best way, the very best way to come to the truth about Jesus. The other things form a, form a platform where you can go, hey, I, I'm willing to give him a listen because look at the impact he's made. I think that's good. But the big question is, is he telling the truth? Is it real? Is what he's saying actually true? Thanks for listening to the Explaining Christianity podcast. If you'd like to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. You can go to whatisachristian.net to do so. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Virtual Church Assist.